recorded live from Hong Kong and Toronto. Toronto. This is the PR and Law Podcast. The PR and Law Podcast. Turn it up, turn it up. With your hosts, Cam McMurchy and you and Christy. Welcome to episode number 43 of the PR and Law Podcast. I'm your host, Cam McMurchy, along with you and Christy. Hello, Cam. Ewan's an employment lawyer and partner at Duntroon LLP in Toronto, Canada, and online at duntroon.law. I'm a PR guy in Hong Kong and publisher of the Digital Bits PR and Communications newsletter at digitalbitspr.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell a friend. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as YouTube and SoundCloud. And you can get our newsletter as well at prlawpodcast.club. So here we are. Ewan, Chinese New Year, Valentine's Day, those are good things, uh, but, but still some struggles with the pandemic, so what's happening uh, over there? That's right, happy, uh, what, Year of the Ox? Year of the right? Ox, it is. Year of the Ox. What's the deal with the Oxes? They're they're supposed to be loyal and hardworking, right, Cam, isn't that it? I think so, yeah. Those would be the traits that I would associate, and I think the Chinese calendar does. Right, right, okay, well, great. And yeah, that's right, and doubling down. Uh, with Valentine's Day as well, so how do you how do you how do you do that over in you know, uh, in your neck of the woods, Cam? Do you do you sort of eat dumplings and chocolate I, hearts and Valentines all at the same time? How I does that feel, how does that go? I feel a bit saved about this this year because like Chinese New Year does take precedence over Valentine's Day, <laughs> so yeah, I feel like guys sure. are kind of kind of off the hook. But I did I was out and about yesterday in the city, and there were a lot of couples walking around and a lot of guys with flowers in their hands, presumably going to meet somebody. So yeah. It's um it's still happening, but it seems a little bit less prominent. On Chinese New Year, though, Ewan, is that is that big back there? Because like I, I left Canada in two thousand four, which is a long time ago, and I don't know if it's grown in significance in the interim or if it's still kind of a a marginal kind of celebration. Well, I mean, as you know, Cam, we're a, a sort of gargantuan landmass with a very 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 low population density. Mm-hmm. So, I think the answer to that question depends largely on on where you're located. Um, I mean, yeah, sure. In downtown Toronto, um, it's certainly it's certainly a thing. Sure, people know about it, and um, you know Chinese restaurants are typically busier during Lunar New Year. Um, and yeah, it's it's kind of cool the way it's sort of been incorporated into a lot of sort of more traditional cultural events here and um, meals and the calendar and workplaces. So yeah, I, I guess the answer is is yes, but again totally depends on on where you're at i'm sure if uh you know i drove north into the boonies uh, a couple hundred kilometers i i I don't think we'd really find very much you know (laughs) you know i should mention to people too because this is probably not well known it is a a very very deep chinese tradition to not get your hair cut in the first 15 days of a new lunar year and now like the first 15 days has significance because you and like it's actually the period of Chinese New Year. It's actually 15 days long. The first three days, I'd say, are the main the main days. But um, uh, the 15th day is Lantern Festival, which is the end of the Chinese New Year period. But throughout that time, you're not supposed to get your hair cut. Apparently, it's very bad luck. And so uh, and it's something weirdly that I've always followed since I found out about that. And uh, I don't know how that stuff ends up sticking for me. Yeah, I wish you hadn't told me that. <laughs> oh, no. Did you do it? <laughs> Well, I, I didn't, but as, you know, as, as I think we've talked about, we're still in, you know, sort of 
state of emergency, there's still no place to go and get your haircut. So desperate times call for desperate measures. And um, my wife finally was looking at me. She's like, look, this is this is just this is getting ridiculous. She says, I'm going to cut your hair. Now, she hasn't cut my hair yet, but um, she cut her daughter's hair uh, earlier this morning, as a matter of fact. So I hope she doesn't listen to the show this week. Yeah, that could be problematic. The other one you're weirdly not supposed to do is laundry. And that one's a little bit more difficult. I'm not sure if that's for the whole 15 days, but it's definitely on the first day of the year. That's a, wow. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm really, then I'm in all kinds of trouble. I've done about three loads of laundry today already. So um, I guess I'm, I'm in trouble there as well. But what, what do you, how can it be bad luck to clean clothing? How can that be a thing? I don't know. Like I, I know the logic on the haircut is like, if you have good luck and good fortune, it's like you're cutting it off, you know? That's kind of the visual, and right. and I'm just guessing it might be something along those lines, like maybe you're you're, you're cleaning off good luck or fortune or something. I'm not, I'm not sure. That's a guess, but I know that for sure on the haircut part. All right. Well, maybe if if we have any listeners who can uh, can fill us in on why it might be bad luck to wash clothing in the first 15 days, let us know because uh, I've already done it. So I'd like to know just 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 how bad things could get for me going forward. Show your support to the PRN Law Podcast by making a one-time donation or setting up a subscription with us on Patreon. Every little bit helps us keep the lights on and bring the show to you each week. If you'd like to chip in, please visit PRNLawPodcast.com. That's PRNLawPodcast.com. Click support the show. Thanks for helping us out. Okay, Ewan, what have you got on deck today? Well, Cam, you know, there's been a lot of talk in employment circles about whether employers can compel employees to get vaccinated before returning to the office. And, you know, if so, what sort of exemptions might exist for employees, you know, suffering from disabilities or medical issues um, to justify an exemption? But I was reading a number of stories this week. It just this issue kept popping up. And this is seems to be predominantly in the U.S., where businesses, they're sort of taking a different tack on this issue, Cam, and they're almost sidestepping the issue entirely and paying employees to get vaccinated. Interesting. Yeah. So, and I mean, we're not talking about small businesses here, and there may be some small businesses that that are doing this as well, but I mean, large businesses, Cam, Trader Joe's, McDonald's, Dollar General, um, as I understand, even the the, the New York subway employees um all of these companies have been offering their employees paid incentives so you know bonuses ranging from 25 dollars to 500 dollars to go and get vaccinated some companies are are providing sort of hourly wage stipends so you know we'll we'll give you three to four hours wages to go and get vaccinated and strikes me as sort of kind of a clever way to deal with the issue because I mean, let's be honest, whether you're an employer or an employee, both sides of the fence has a vested interest here in making sure that the people and employees who are returning to sort of a bricks and mortar work environment are safe. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have some questions around this UN, but it seems to me like this might open some Pandora's box a little bit. For instance, I guess in Canada, I kind of understand. But if we're talking about the United States, like let's just say, for example, the United States, I mean, there's a lot of people in the U.S. that that 
don't want to be vaccinated. Actually, I think there's a lot of people around the world who don't want to be vaccinated or don't trust these vaccines quite yet because they are so new. And then there's the issue of at least employers in the U.S. I mean, they're responsible for for the health care usually of their full time employees. But it's very difficult in some cases to get any sort of health care support from employers, especially if you're part time or, or on contract or freelance or something like that. Does it send a mixed message a little bit if they are going to help out with this vaccine, but nothing else sometimes? Or am I sort of going down the wrong path here? Well, no, I mean, you're 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 not wrong. One of the issues that's come up, particularly for uh, for grocery store workers whose employers have incentivized them to go and get vaccinated, you know, in the same breath, they're saying, well, but wait a minute, you sort of cut the higher wages that were put in place because a number of businesses, I'm sure you read about this, Cam, had sort of given uh, frontline workers a bump in pay. Um, because they're putting themselves at risk. And really, like in, in most circumstances throughout history, it's always the precarious work um, where you have individuals that are on the front lines that are putting their health at risk to provide services. And grocery store cashiers are a great example. And a lot of them were receiving, you know, a bonus of a few dollars extra an hour in their wages um, during COVID. And for most workers uh, in Canada as well, that that extra bump in pay has since been stripped. So to your point, you're sort of saying, well, on one hand, you're kind of you're helping me, but then you're taking this away. Um, you know what what gives what I really want is that couple extra bucks an hour back as opposed to you just saying you're going to give me twenty five dollars to go get vaccinated. Um, and, the, you know, then the other issue, of course, is liability. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and what happens if you pay for your employee to go get vaccinated and they have some sort of adverse reaction to the vaccine or, um, you know, any number of issues that that may occur? You know, are, are you going to have a situation where employees are turning around and trying to sue their employers in, in that regard? And if so, then does that mean we need to draw up? complicated waivers of liability. I mean, you know, things get really complicated really fast, right? Yeah. I mean, do employers normally cover things like flu shots and other vaccinations and things like that? Or, or is this really a special case? <laughs> well, Cam, that that depends entirely on where you might live, right? right? Of course. Um, I, with, without, I mean, to state the obvious, the, the healthcare situation in Canada relative to that of the United States or any number of other countries um, is markedly different. So yeah, I mean, that really, really depends on on where you live, right? Yeah, it just seems to me, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the issues of liability um, and, and the, the case of a person maybe getting sick or having some adverse reaction to the vaccine. That's obviously a real concern. But then, you know, like I said, there is also, or there are also a number of people who are suspicious of the vaccine. Um, and I mean, I, it looks like the tests have been done quickly the trial period and i like i'm pretty confident in them but i also recognize that a lot of people are not and i guess if someone refuses to take the vaccine is that a problem because can companies do anything about that because we talked on an earlier episode about can companies compel you or force you to take the vaccine but if the company wants its staff to take vaccines and is even funding that can you reject it and hang on to your job or is there any recourse there 
Sorry to put you on the spot well, on this stuff. <laughs> well, 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 look, I mean, I mean, again, and, you know, a lot of this depends on on where you live and sort of the applicable employment standards, laws and legislation of, of wherever you happen to live. I mean, what I can say is is here, for example, look, you're, an employer is going to have a really difficult time compelling an employee to do something. You're not going to be able to mm-hmm. to make an employee get vaccinated for obvious reasons. However, what you might be able to do, and again, you know, uh, I think employment lawyers were still exploring the different angles as to how this might play out and also, you know, what position the government might take on the issue. And that was something else I wanted to sort of get into briefly. But um, what you might be able to do, Cam, is to say, look, if you want to return to the office, get vaccinated because an employer does have an obligation to provide a safe working environment for their employees. And if you are knowingly permitting someone into the work environment where they could pose a risk, health and safety risk um, to other employees, then yeah, that's a problem. And you absolutely Mm. could take the position that, sorry, we're not going to let you back in to the office until you've gotten vaccinated. And in the meantime, you can continue to work at home if um, if 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 that's if that's the way it's going to go. So, you know, you're going to run into situations like that. Um, and, you know, ultimately, the health and safety of the employees always has to be foremost on any employer's mind. Right. Yeah, for sure. You know, the interesting thing is um, at the company I work for, Tencent. Inside mainland China, there is already a vaccination program underway. So, I mean, we have staff in Beijing and in Shenzhen. Those are probably the two biggest. Shenzhen is where the headquarters is. And the vaccinations have already begun of staff at no cost. Uh, and so they've been able to to sign up and, and schedule a time and, and come and get their vaccination. I think China is a unique case. Its government is unique <laughs> compared to many other governments in the world. But, but it's interesting to note that the it's at that stage um, already. And also, just as an aside, unrelated to this discussion, I received some photos last week of a, uh, a bar in Beijing, and it was packed, and nobody was wearing masks, and it was standing room only. And I thought, wow, parts of the world are continuing as normal, and that's where, where China's at. It almost struck me hard because I hadn't seen something like that in so long. And my first instinct was, geez, get a mask on, cover up. But uh, they have no they have no cases. And so, yeah, they're at a different stage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a long time before we're 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 there here, Kim. I mean, one of the other things I wanted to touch on briefly around this issue, though, is is, you know, the issue of government intervention, um, you know, in, in, in Ontario and 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 uh, and Canada. I mean, your employer effectively on 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 election during elections, right, a federal election you have to permit your employees to go and vote. And if it means that they have to go mm-hmm. and vote during the middle of the day, then that's effectively something you have to let them do. I don't see why um, the government couldn't take a position on this with, with regard to getting vaccinated, um, you know, permit your employees to, to, to go and get that done because it's in everybody's best interest to do so. Now, again, I understand that the way things work in, in the United States um, is fundamentally different than the way that they work here. Uh, but at a certain point, if, if we want to get realistic about getting people back to work um, and getting the economy firing again, then we need to get more people vaccinated as, as soon as we possibly can, right? 
Continue the debate with us on social media. Join us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PR Law Podcast. All one word, P-R-L-A-W Podcast. Send us your questions now by email to askusatprlawpodcast.com. That's all one word, askusatprlawpodcast.com. Or on social media with the hashtag PRLawPod. That's hashtag P-R-L-A-W-P-O-D. The other thing I want to talk about today, really, is um, the media industry. And, you know, it was, a, it was a tough time, especially in Canada. But this is something that really affects uh, people in media around the world. And I think you and it's, it's common knowledge, I think, now that, you know, a lot of newspapers, hundreds of newspapers uh, have, have shut down just in North America alone. Thousands worldwide, um, you know, TV stations have been affected. Radio stations, obviously, as people move to to streaming services and podcasts and things like that. And so, yeah, there's been deep cuts across the media industry everywhere. And last week was Canada's turn once again. Uh, Bell Media is is a large uh, conglomerate in Canada that owns a lot of different media properties. Um, including TSN, which is the sort of ESPN of Canada. But in late January, it laid off a lot of people, uh, dozens of people from, from, from its Toronto headquarters and many other places, uh, including some sort of famous names to Canadians. But last week, this, the other shoe dropped and hundreds of people lost their job uh, in Canada at radio stations that suddenly flipped now, here's the interesting thing, Ewan. Imagine you're listening to the radio and you're hearing your favorite DJ or your favorite favorite talk show hosts, and they're talking, and then suddenly they're just ripped off the air, which is what happened. And then this is what came on the air for people who are listening. We have some news to share today about changes to our programming. As of today, CKST will no longer be a sports talk radio station. This was a difficult decision, but the realities of the quickly evolving broadcast media landscape in Canada have made this change unavoidable. We want to thank our on-air personalities, advertising partners and sponsors, and everyone who has contributed to this station. But especially, we want to thank you, our listeners. Our work here at TSN 1040 was driven by our passion to bring you the very best sports, news, and discussion. We sincerely appreciate the time you spent with us. You can continue to find TSN sports content on the iHeartRadio Canada platform and on TSN, tsn tsn.ca, and the TSN app. The new format of the station will be launched this Friday at 7 a.m. Thank you again for your loyalty over the years. That was followed by a Green Day song called Good Riddance. Huh. What'd you think of the announcement? <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why was it followed by good riddance by Green Day? That's that a, a good question. As That's a good really question. Ewan. Odd. I was that clearly uh, some employees kind of last gasp of a middle finger before being being kicked out the door. I, I can only assume it was, but. Well, uh, not quite that. Um, so. I'm going to get into that in a second because that's kind of the, the the technical side. But I do want to say that, um, you know, for our listeners who are not Canadian or not familiar with Canada, I mean, Bell is a huge company, Ewan, as you know. Um, they own 
sports sports talk radio stations, but also, you know, cable prov- provision and things like that um, that they're involved with, and satellite and all kinds of stuff. Um, so they're they're a big company, and they they actually just recently uh, received funding from the Canadian government uh, to help them through the pandemic, um, which was not a good look when you get that sort of infusion of cash, but then you you, you fire hundreds of people after that. Uh, which isn't a good look. The formats of these radio stations, there's three of them actually, you and in Canada across the country, uh, in three different cities. And they're all, you know, the staff of all three of these radio stations were fired last Monday. And one of them is going to turn into a business uh, radio station, likely sort of probably piping in Bloomberg Canada. Uh, and the other two are going to switch to a new format called Funny Radio, <laughs> which is sort of all stand-up comedy. Uh, so when reporters reached out to Bell to say, hey, like, why, why did you do this? This was the quote that they gave back about funny radio. This format has already proven highly successful in markets like Hamilton and Calgary with its stand-up comedy content. And it also called the changes made on Monday, quote-unquote, relatively modest. Furthermore, the statement continues, these changes align with our strategy of focusing on serving the largest possible audiences with the content they want the most while leveraging the efficiencies of our broader organization. Ewan, we don't often rip apart statements on this show. I, I think <laughs> no, we, that's just terrible. Please rip, rip it apart. It's that's awful. awful. It's absolutely awful. And I, I think I, I am shocked, honestly, that a company of this size could execute this way. I think... Going back to what you said about good riddance playing, it turns out the morning show was on the air, a producer, which is two hosts. There was a producer there. The email of the week's schedule uh, had just gone out for its part-timers that Monday morning. And Bell was able to grab control of the board remotely and shut it down remotely. So the people in the studio did not know what was happening at the beginning which is what? very extreme. Wow. Uh, and then a meeting was called and they were given 30 minutes to get out of the building. Now that part, I understand that last part. And I, and I want to mention here, I mean, I did work in radio for a while. Obviously I've been a big fan of radio for a long time, which is kind of why we have this podcast also. Um, but in media, you, you can't, it's not like other businesses where you can sort of give a two week you know, notice or something like that. I mean, I think all businesses actually have concerns. If you're going to lay somebody off, could they take something, some, some sensitive information or some corporate secrets, or could they damage, you know, something in, in the company, you know, if you let them continue working even after you've laid them off, but in radio and television, it's even more extreme because you don't want them going on the air and saying something. And that's always been the fear with these media companies. And so it is common that when there is a format flip, in radio or television that you would call them into your office, lay them off and then really escort them out of the building as quickly as possible. There's no chance. There's no goodbyes or swan songs or anything like that. It's just out the door. And I understand why that's necessary, even though that looks awful for the public, but yep, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, and, and obviously in employers are well within their rights to do that. Right. I mean, the, 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 the regime is you can provide an employee with, pay in lieu of reasonable notice um and give it you know which is exactly what it sounds like today's your last day the end and we'll pay you what we owe you in termination and severance um you know down the road you'll get you'll get a check but this is it 
um, as opposed to what a lot of other businesses do, right? Which is they might give you working notice and say, um, you're going to continue to show up day in and day out for the next three months. And that's your, your working notice of the termination of your employment. But you're right in, in sensitive situations like that. Yeah. It kind of behooves the employer to do just that as, as awful, um, as it might feel, um, to those employees. That's, that's what you got to do as an employer, right? Yes. Um, so there, I do have, I guess I bring that up, Ewan, because it is, I do have some sympathy for the situation Bell was in here. So I'm not here to slam Bell's decision or even parts of how they carried it out, actually. But in totality, it really was an awful look. This is Paul Chapman, who is a reporter in Vancouver, which is one of the markets where this uh, sports radio station was shut down. Uh, Here's what he had to say about how it all went down. It's a stunning way to treat people. 845, Bruff and Halford on the air. Mike's go dead. Twitter account deactivated. So all the listeners are like, what the heck's going on? Some faceless, nameless uh, message goes out that they'd obviously got some guy in Tulsa, Oklahoma, is the guy they used to to do the voiceovers to just read a script, basically telling people. Mm-hmm. And then the song Good Riddance by Green Day uh, plays after they give their, their note. Like, is this not the most disgusting way you've seen employees treated uh, when they're losing their jobs? Yeah. That kind of sums it up. Yeah. So now my feeling is, and I have not seen this mentioned, I think the good riddance was probably a mistake. I, I, I actually think that because, I mean, that song is known because it says the time of your life, right? Which can come across as kind of a more nostalgic tune. And so I can see how maybe that was an error and they didn't mean good riddance necessarily. But that, that decision to play that song was still damaging, and it was done by, by the management of the company because um, it wasn't played at all. The, the, the local uh, board operator didn't have control of the board, so it was impossible to, to put something on. So that, that doesn't look good. But my issue, Ewan, is, is on the PR side. So there were some unique circumstances here. Like I said, number one, they, took, they just recently took money from the Canadian government. So... On a PR side, you would have to try and address that pretty quickly because I've seen a lot of criticism about that, and I haven't seen Bell address it head on yet. And I think that's really important because you're looking at a company that got taxpayer dollars, and you're looking at yeah. them fire hundreds of people. So that that is a huge problem, number one. And then some of the wording that they used, such as the change being relatively modest or you know providing audiences with the content they want. These are really insulting terms. I mean, it's not modest to hundreds of people who just lost their jobs in the middle of a pandemic. Not to mention that a lot of these uh, media outlets did have strong listenership. And then to say that, you know, we're going to give you the content that possible audiences want the most. Again, let's see. I mean, we're going to get a look at how all comedy radio stacks up. But like, make no mistake, this was done just as a cost cutting move. That's it. When you have when you do stand up comedy radio, which is an interesting format, actually. I mean, it wasn't around when I was in Canada. It's something relatively new. I know it's done in the United States. You know, you can buy shows and just run run things with, you know, just a handful of people at the radio station because they're all piped in from somewhere else. Um, And it's just a really, really lean and efficient way uh, to run a radio station. But to pretend this is what people are clamoring for, just it's just not the case. 
And so, well, and particularly when you're talking about Cam going from a sports radio to a comedy station, right? I mean, if 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 the listeners are looking for change of direction, they might be looking for a change of the personality or maybe change of the format of a show. Not, hey, you know, I'm really sick of this sports talk radio thing. <laughs> I really want to hear some comedians. I mean, what what person out there? who's listening to sports radio is consciously thinking, you know, what would make this infinitely better is if they were just playing comedy instead of sports. I mean, you're right. It's insulting. You're insulting the intelligence of your listeners. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't sell well, much like following up with a good written song. I mean, yeah, there there's ways to do this and ways not to do it. But I, you know, one of the other things that's sort of interesting is given the pandemic you know, em- employees and, and employers, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all we're all human beings. And we're all people. And everybody understands that we're dealing with extraordinary circumstances. And to your point and to that, the, you know, the point of that clip that you just played, you really could have, despite sort of the typically sensitive nature of the work that that radio personalities are doing, you likely could have gone to them and said, look, you know, we're in a pretty bad situation financially um, as a lot of companies are right now. And we're going to have to ax and we're going to have to cut some shows and, you know, it's nothing personal, but we don't have any choice. You very easily could have done that as a company and it would have been, you know, obviously not something that the employees want to hear, but given the extraordinary circumstances on some level, they would at least understand it and would be able to respect a decision like that and know that it wasn't reflective of, you know, their conduct or the job they had been doing, what have you. Um, but this just strikes me as really, really underhanded. Yeah. I've said on the show so many times that you have to show empathy, show that you understand the severity of the situation, that you understand the impact it's having on whatever stakeholder group you're talking to. And you're right, Ewan. In this one, I mean, media, the media industry is very, very difficult. It's expensive and margins are very thin if there are profits at all. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. So these are all factors. And I think, you know, Bell could have approached this in a much more humble way and say things like, this is a dark day. This is the last thing that we ever wanted to do. You know, our hearts go out to the to the people who have spent so much time building audiences at these at these radio stations. You know, this was not an easy decision. It was uh, a decision of last resort, something like that, that really emphasizes that this is something they really didn't want to do, but they were pushed into because of economic considerations. Now, people are still going to be angry. Uh, I think that's just going to happen no matter what. I mean, you're you're firing hundreds of people. It happens. Um, but you can still put a much better foot forward uh, in handling this in terms of the public fallout. I wanted to mention one last thing, Ewan. And, um, you know, in Canada, Bell has really spearheaded sort of awareness of mental health, awareness and treatment of mental health. I'm kind of impressed, actually. It's called Bell Let's Talk Day. And there's usually sort of an advertising campaign and some events around uh, this day, which I believe is in January um, every year. And for a corporate kind of campaign, it's become very successful, I would say. You know, on Bell Let's Talk Day, a lot of people are talking about mental health. It does bring it out, you know, onto into, into the media and online and elsewhere. And a lot of prominent people have come forward to talk about um, their struggles with mental health. And it's, it's become um, a, a, quite a successful day, I would say, for Bell. But 
I mean, naturally, you're going to link these two things together. And I saw that a lot online, which is, you know, Bell claims to, to be concerned about mental health. But, uh, you know, at the same token, fired hundreds of people, um, you know, just a week or two after Bell Let's Talk Day. And it's not fair for these two things to be linked. Let's be clear. But it doesn't matter if it's fair or not. Like this is going to be a PR challenge for you. And so you can't sit back and say, well, one doesn't have anything to do with the other. That may be true, but that might not be how people are thinking about it. They do link them together. And so that's a problem, too. It was just bungled from start to finish. Yeah. Um, well, and actually, just to, 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 to muddy the waters further, Cam, I mean, I don't know if you saw the Bell Let's Talk commercial um, and you're right. This this has been a very successful campaign. I mean, I noticed my my Twitter feed was was exploding that day around, um, you know, people effectively coming out and and saying, yeah, I suffer from mental health issues um, for the first time and and making these acknowledgments saying, you know, hey, if anybody wants to talk, I'm here, you know, message me a lot of really, really brave messages and more so than any other year in the past for very obvious reasons. This is a huge, huge issue. Um, and it's really a great opportunity for, for Bell to sort of, you know, build a campaign that's good for the brand and, and, you know, hopefully attracts attention to, to issues of mental health in the process, but they're commercial that they chose to run or run this year, I thought was kind of tone deaf. They had Michael Bublé, who, you know, I'm sure people are familiar with. He's, he's, you know, big jazz crooner, um, also happens to be Canadian. And they had him effectively running around his house, performing different random activities, vacuuming and doing different things. Um, talking about bell, let's talk. And a number of people had sort of chimed in and said, isn't that kind of, tone deaf we're talking about people suffering from crippling mental health issues and barely being able to make ends meet economically and financially right now because they've lost their jobs and we're supposed to cut to a multi-millionaire running around his mansion and be sympathetic and tie that to mental health i mean the whole thing just seemed completely completely tone deaf um, with, with the overall movement. So, uh, yeah, it looks like it's just been a bad, it's been a bad run for bell apparently. Yeah. Whoever bell is engaging for communications and marketing, they need to engage somebody else. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Check this out. Whoa. Hey, check this out. No, no, wait, wait, oh, check it out. Check it out. I want you to check this out on the PR and law podcast. All right, Ewan, what do you have on deck? Well, Cam, I'm going to try and squeeze in two things because the first thing is still somewhat employment law related. This was a story I read, um, what, yesterday, I guess, about KPMG's UK chairman, Bill Michael. I don't know if you heard about this story. Uh, uh, no, so he, go ahead. No, he, so he, he resigned after a number of employees complained about comments he made during a Zoom call. So this was a call that went out to 1,500 different consultants. Um, and again, yeah, he's the UK chairman of KPMG. And they have about, to put it in perspective, there's about 16,000 um, UK staff uh, at KPMG. And this was what he said. Uncon- he was talking about unconscious bias. And he says, unconscious bias, I think unconscious bias is complete crap. Complete and utter crap for years there is no such thing as unconscious bias. I don't buy it. 
because after every single unconscious bias training that's ever been done, nothing's ever improved. So that was the first comment. He then moved on to the issue of COVID and employees taking sick days around issues of COVID. Um, And he said, well, you can't play the role of victim unless you're sick. I hope you're not sick and you're not ill. And if you're not, take control of your life. Don't sit there and moan about it, quite frankly. That second part is in reference to what? Like about being a victim. Does he mean like people who don't have COVID but are at home and kind of upset? Do you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I do know this. Uh, yeah, now that you mentioned you went. Um I, I I hear you on this one. I I I struggle a bit. Like sometimes, let's put it this way. Sometimes I think that is a good message. The kind of pick up your socks, you know, you're if you're not a victim to kind of snap to it and yeah, sort of gather yourself together and move forward. Um that message is difficult to deliver. I think we're in a sensitive time also where sometimes that message isn't always well received. Actually, I think a lot of times that message is not always well received. Um, So I certainly can see how that would upset some people who are struggling and it's probably unfair to the people who are struggling uh, as well. Um, But I think, you know, we, we, we mentioned off air, I, I do lean more towards letting people speak rather than trying to find reasons to shut them down off for their opinions. I think this one's a, a difficult one. I think if, if, um, it can be offensive to certain people and he probably shouldn't have said it in that forum. I think that's probably fair to say. Um, but I do think we should be careful with what we say, especially when it leads to sort of any discrimination of any kind, but also that we should try and make room for opinions different from our own as much as we can, just because it's, it's, it's healthier, uh, that way. But if someone was you know upset by, by his message, I think they have a right to be upset and I think they have a right to follow up with it as well. Well, Yeah. And here's the thing. This wasn't some sort of workplace discussion on the issue of unconscious bias such that you're creating an open space for people to sort of contribute their perspective on on a pretty complicated and um, and multifaceted issue. This was a a work call that went out to fifteen hundred employees. And, you know, you're you're signing into this Zoom call to listen to your chairman speak. And he decides he wants to go off on a rant about unconscious bias being complete and utter crap. Um, That's not really the time and the place for it, whether or not we're going to critique whether or not that's a valid perspective on the issue. Um, What are you doing raising it in, in the first place? That's kind of that, that's more the issue for me. If this was again, an open forum, I take your point, Cam, look, you know, the fact is that you do have a lot of people that feel that way about these particular issues. The fact that they happen to be predominantly middle-aged white men, um, that's, that's another, another issue entirely. Um, but I take your point. Look, we're not going to get anywhere if we don't effectively let these individuals sort of have their rants so you can push back and educate and and um, and convey a differing perspective on the issue. But that's not what the point of this call was. And it wasn't the time or the place for it. Um, and, you know, frankly, you do have a lot of people at home that are struggling right now, at least with regard to a second point about, you know, pull up your bootstraps. I don't know if this is a pull up your bootstraps kind of moment. In any event, he has since resigned. So anyway, it's an interesting story. It's in the daily mail. I'll uh, put a link in the show notes for people. Yeah. I'll only push back a little bit on the sort of white male part. I mean, cause I've been in Asia for a long time now 
yeah, like seven, 17, 18 years. Th- that attitude is very prevalent here too, where there's very, very few white males in positions of authority. And so I, I do think it's a, it's, it's a cultural approach to work that is probably outdated and probably comes from a long time ago, but it's still out there. And I, I, I definitely don't think it's just white males who succumb to that kind of thinking. I, I think a lot of people do in different parts of the world. And I think, you know, as the idea of work evolves, um, I think this, this thinking will as well. I, I, I wouldn't uh, necessarily disagree with you. Where I would really take issue with it is this really isn't the person that should be lecturing on mm-hmm. on this issue mm-hmm. nor is it the forum to do so i think that's the problem and i think that's why a number of employees chimed in and were just really 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 frustrated and angry mm-hmm. um with what transpired anyway yes um my only other thing it's happier cam i sat down and i watched uh mank oh really yeah, so this is the 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 Netflix film directed by David Fincher. You know, David Fincher he directed Seven and Fight Club yep. and The Social Network. Um, it's set in the 1930s Hollywood, um, sort of around the time of the emergence of talking pictures, right? So the silent films are going out, the talking pictures are coming in, and it follows the story of Herman Mankiewicz or Mank, who's played by Gary Oldman, and um, he was the writer of the screenplay of citizen Kane, which, you know, wow. is still yeah. considered to be Orson Welles' citizen Kane still considered to be among the best, if not the best film ever made. So uh, yeah, it, I, I enjoyed it. You know, it's black and white, which sort of felt kind of gimmicky out of the gate. And then it really sort of grew on me. And, you know, there was some, a lot of stuff I didn't like about this movie cam. And yet it was one of those ones where, you come away from it and you're thinking, yeah, well, well. and then it sort of <laughs> sticks with you and you're kind of going over scenes in your head after the fact. Yeah. Um, this was one of those movies. That's it was a good a sign. Long. Mm-hmm. It was just, dis- I thought it was disjointed, but the dialogue, it was clearly, I mean, it's about a screenwriter. So, I mean, you know, your dialogue has to be spot on mm-hmm. and there are just so many cool, clever, really, really witty moments um, and Gary Oldman, who clearly is just having a blast as, you know, an alcoholic screenwriter looking for redemption. Um, I think it's worth your time. Wow. Anyway. Yeah, that sounds great. I, I will check that out. My recommendation is not nearly as entertaining as yours. I want to talk about the budget reconciliation process in the U.S. Senate. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. I I think it's pretty well known that the U.S. government in general, but Senate in particular, hasn't been functioning well of late. But getting into Senate rules and procedures is quite dry. Um, But this is excellent. Um, I'm going to refer again to the Ezra Klein show. He has since moved over to the New York Times. So if you have listened to him in the past on my recommendations, you're going to have to do another search and add his new feed to your to your podcast app. Um, but he interviews a guy named Adam Gentleson, who served as the deputy chief of staff to Senator Harry Reid. Um, and he's just written a book. Um, Gentleson's book is called Kill Switch, The Rise of the Modern Senate and the Crippling of American Democracy. I could not turn this episode off. I think it does an absolute excellent job of really explaining how the Senate works and why it's not functioning and why the incentives are wrong and why some popular belief on certain procedures is also wrong. So 
I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And actually, I came away feeling like I understood how the U.S. Senate functions much better than before. And uh, I think it really helps sort of make sense of the news once you sort of get this under your belt. So it was a really good discussion. Don't be put off by the, uh, the policy wonk style of this uh, subject. It actually is interesting and well done. So, I mean, is it kind of a real policy wonky discussion? Is it actually sort of accessible? Very accessible. It's not a policy wonk discussion. In fact, the budget reconciliation process, they threw that term around just because it does sound so dry. <laughs> but actually, it's fascinating and it's a problem and it sort of sits at the heart of a lot of this. And so it is, it's very accessible. I thought I was concerned. You know, oftentimes a lot of these shows that I like, I will skip episodes if the subject area doesn't look good. And this one I kind of struggled with, but thought, oh, I'll listen to the first bit. And I did not turn it off. Listen to the whole thing in one sitting after that. So it is it is well done. Was it, was it the budget or the reconciliation that <laughs> lured you in, Cam? The reconciliation. That's the part. That's what we need, right. actually, okay. in this we world. We do. We all need a little <laughs> reconciliation in our lives, right? With someone or something, somewhere yeah. or somehow. No kidding. Uh, all right, Ewan, we've reached the end of the road. Uh, what, what, anything else you want to chime in about, speak up about, wish to our listeners? Happy new year, folks. Happy new year. And, um, just keep on keeping on, right? Right on, right on. Thanks for joining us again for episode 43 and we're closing in on 50 already. And our first anniversary, I guess, Ewan, because we started this in April. I guess we got a couple months. Wow, Kim, yeah. we've almost been together a year. We should, uh, wow. we should actually do something special on that one. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, don't miss a show. You can subscribe in your podcast app of choice or to our YouTube and SoundCloud channels, and you can get our newsletter, PRLawPodcast.club. So for you and Christy, this is Cam McMurchie. Light it up. This has been the PR and Law Podcast with Cam McMurchie and you and Christy. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend or leave a review. You can also join us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by following our account at PR Law Podcast. That's all one word, P-R-L-A-W Podcast. Thanks for your support.